Wow. I think we can pray and be dismissed. That was an awesome message, Jamie. That's so cool. Oh, I love when God does stuff like that. And we are going to be talking about gifts today. This is the last in our series on getting in line. We're talking about prioritizing the big things in life. And if you've missed any of those messages, they are on our YouTube channel or on our website. You can go back and see these. Like and subscribe for more content like this. Um, but t today we're going to be talking about gifts, and I don't know if anybody knows about the five love languages. You guys heard about the five love languages? Yes, okay. There's, there's five different love languages. There's uh, physical touch, like people like to hug, the, the, that Teresa's physical touch person. There's words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, and then there's gift giving. That's one of those love languages. And uh, I, I was thinking about gift giving recently. By the way, there's only 148 shopping days left before Christmas, so just something to keep in mind. I looked it up. Anyway, uh, but one of the things about giving gifts that's kind of hard is when you get something that you don't expect. Several years ago at Christmas, uh, my, my sweet aunt uh, gave me a gift, and I opened it up. And it was a Chia pet, but not just any Chia pet. It was a Chia Willie Robertson of Duck Dynasty. So the Chia was his beard, and you would scrape them on. You know how Chia pets work? Um, now, I don't want to step on any, anyone's toes because they sell a half a million Chia pets a year. And I, so some of you like Chia pets, but you need to know this about me. Don't like chia pets. I don't like the pottery. I don't like the chia seeds. I, I'm not, I mean, nothing against Duck Dynasty, but I don't really care about Duck Dynasty or Willie Robertson. So I would say this gift was a swing and a miss. However, uh, I had a sneaking suspicion that it was re-gifted. Anybody ever receive a re-gift? Any of you? Yes? How many of you have re-gifted something? You don't have to raise your hands. I know you're out there. I know you are. Because you look at it, you go, is that good enough? Will that, will that work? And, and so a lot of times it doesn't work. Uh, the reality is that's why Christmas is so stressful. Because you have to buy somebody something and it might go wrong. They say seven out of ten people have received a gift that they hated. Anybody in this room? I want to see by show of hands. Should be about 70% of us, right? They say four out of 10 people received a gift that actually insulted them. There have been relationships that have ended because of bad gifts. There's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $21 billion of unspent gift cards in our country right now. Isn't that crazy? So gift giving is a struggle for us. But I do want to say this about God. We have a God that knows how to give gifts and re-gift like no one else. Because God doesn't just give us something off the shelf that he has left over from the last party. He gives us something that fits us. He gives us something because he knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our passions. He knows our capabilities. And whatever he gives us fits us. And not only fits us, but fits what we can do with other people. 
So we're going to be talking about that this morning. I want to start off by reading a verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is, you got to know, 1 Corinthians is probably most well known for one of the chapters where it talks about spiritual gifts. And Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. It was a church there in a city that's in Asia Minor. And this city was very active in using the gifts. But he was writing this letter really to correct a lot of the abuses of the gifts. But he wasn't talking about how he didn't want them. He was talking about how important they are. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Who's the us? Those were the people of the church, and by extension, all of us. Everybody who is a follower of Christ receives some kind of a spiritual gift so we can help each other. So our gifts are to be used to help other people out because we need help. We all need help. Turn to your neighbors and say, I need help. All right. Some of you are thinking, I don't need help. And you're the ones that need the help the most. So we have a big challenge. We have a challenge. And the challenge is that a lot of people are not using their gifts. The uh, study was recently done by the Unstuck Group. It's a group that helps resource churches, and they surveyed churches all over the country, and they found that the average church out of the adult population has between four and five people that, out of 10 that serve. So that's 45% of the population. A really high-level serving church in the very top percentage of all churches would maybe have seven out of 10 people serving in their gifts. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of a challenge because how in the world, if, if you need 100% participation to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, how can you do that if you're running at half speed? And, and I get it. There's a lot of problems associated with serving because uh, sometimes people are brand new in a church. And, and if you're newer here, I get it. You're kind of checking things out. You don't want to commit to a one-year Bible, leading a one-year Bible study when you don't even know if this is your church yet. You, you try to learn and that's fine. Um, but, but there's other things too. Sometimes people have been hurt. You know, they've been burnt out in the past. You know, the old 80-20 rule where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Well, it happens in a lot of churches too. And then if, if Joe over here does, uh, you know, this good, maybe, maybe if we ask him to do that, he'll do that as well. And so we keep asking Joe to do stuff. And pretty soon Joe's like, I can't do anymore. And, you know, and he gets burned out. And so some people t come to a new church looking for just a place to recover and replenish themselves. But my hope is if, if you're feeling burnt out, that you take the time you need to let God pour back into you. But with a goal in mind of getting back into using your gifts. And then some people, honestly, they just, they don't know what their gift is. They feel maybe a little insecure about stepping into serving with people, it feels a little awkward, and I understand that too. That can be hard. But that doesn't eliminate the responsibility that we have to, to take those steps. And sometimes it's a conversation like having coffee, as Jamie mentioned earlier, where we ask questions like, I'm not sure what I should be doing. And, and we might be able to help coach you into a place to serve. Of course, sometimes it's just that we're busy. There's probably no busier culture on the planet than, than in the American culture. We're, we're, like I was thinking about it myself. I have, I have nine kids. Now that they're not all at home and they're all small, right? But I still have interactions with my kids. I have 13 grandkids. 
I have parents, I have you know, siblings. So I have an extended family and that requires a, a lot of time and investment. I also have a job like a lot of us have. And so I've got a, a chunk of time during my week. I have to uh, submit to, to taking care of business. And then I also have responsibilities when I go home. You know, the lawn's got to get mowed. The garbage has got to get taken out. The dishes have to get done. There's all kinds of things at home that I have to take care of. And then I, I'm so busy that sometimes I just need some rest. I need time to get away and do something fun. We like to go paddle boarding. We like to go skiing in the winter. We like to go hiking. And, and so it's important to do those kinds of things. And so just like a lot of us, sometimes I've got so much going on in my life, I feel like, how can I do one more thing? And I know some of you are there right now. And uh, lucky for you, I have some ideas on how you can serve anyway. <laughs> so we're going to get into that. You see, the reality is when it talks about helping one another, you may not realize this, but what you have to offer will definitely impact somebody else's life positively, but it's also going to impact yours. When you're giving, when you're serving, God does something in your life at the same time. On the other side of serving is satisfaction. When you commit to something, there's contentment, and you will find that when you get plugged in. 1 Peter 4.10 has this to say, and Peter was one of the early church leaders. This is what he says about gifts. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. What's a steward? Right? Somebody that takes care of things, right? Somebody that manages things. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I was thinking about this when it comes to banks, right? We, we bring our money to the bank, and the banks are the stewards of our money. And we expect, if we put money into a savings account, to get a return of 0.00005%, right? We expect them, at the very least, not to lose our money. Like, if I go and put my money in, and I come back next week, and I want my money out, I don't want to hear, ah, we had a really a big party last night and I, it was very expensive so the bad news is we don't have your money but the good news is we had a blast with your money right <laughs> the bank is supposed to steward our treasure they're supposed to take care of our treasure and I don't know what could be more valuable than the treasure of God's grace in its various forms it looks differently in all of our lives I mean, it, it plays out in different ways. As Jamie said, there's, there's different gifts, but it's God's grace that we're taking care of. And so we have to steward that grace carefully. So I'm going to talk about three ways that we can steward God's grace well this morning. The first one, we stewards God's grace well when we desire them, when we desire the gifts of God. Um, it sounds kind of counterintuitive to desire gifts. You know, if you say, if somebody comes up to you and says, ah, I would love it if you'd give me a gift, right? Uh, how about if I said to you, I would love a truck, a new truck. I got a great truck, it still works, but I would love a newer truck. And they're about 100 grand for the kind I want. Would you guys mind buying me a truck? Would that be all right? That'd be a great gift. So it sounds kind of weird to say that, you know, but... You know what I love about kids? They ask for the equivalent of a truck every Christmas, right? 
Like, here's what I want. I want a Lego set. I, I, I want the new electric scooter. I, I want the PlayStation 5. Um, I'm good on socks and underwear this year. You don't need to worry about that, right? You know, I was thinking about this with my own kids. My, my boys, when they were younger, the new Nintendo set came out, and that's all they wanted, right? So they came to me, and they said, Dad, you know, they, they, they got together. They had a council. And they said, Dad, we, we've decided, you know, we would love if, if you could only afford one thing, just, just the, the game system. And we would share it, and we would we'd be good with each other. You know, they make all kinds of promises that they immediately break, right? Uh, but that's all they wanted. And it was one of those years that the minute it came out, they were all sold out, right? And so, so I wanted to get it for them, but I, I looked, I couldn't find it. There was no stores. I called every store. Uh, nowhere. And then I looked in the want ads, kind of the modern version of Facebook Marketplace, and, and you would see them for five times the amount of the original. You know, somebody had bought them, and now they're, they're selling them at an exorbitant profit. And so I, I looked and I looked and finally I found one guy who was selling it for only $150 more than the original cost. And so I called him up right away and said, hey, I'd love to buy this game system. And he said, okay, that sounds great. Uh, meet me in the alley behind the store bringing cash at night. I kid you not, that it was the agreement, that was the plan, and so I literally risked my life with my cash going behind a toy store to buy the new game system. And thank goodness, he, it was legit. He worked for the toy store, and he bought like 10 of them, and he was making a little side business. So, anyway, the point was, I got the Nintendo game system, and I wrapped it up, I put it in the closet, and... I know lying's a sin, but I think around Christmas there's some sort of a loophole with your kids, right? So, I'm so sorry, kids. We can't afford it. You know, it's, I, I wish we could get it for you, but it's not, you know, it's, it's out, sold out everywhere, and I can't spend $1,000 on a game. Said, so, oh, I understand, Dad. That's, that's fine. So, we bought them this cheap, cheap railroad set, and not the kind that has an actual engine, it's just plastic, right? You put it together, and you go, you run in a circle. And so we wrapped it up, put it on the tree, and they opened it up, and my son opened it, oh, you know, the fake smile, thank you, even though I could tell he hated it, and then he put it together, and was, I felt kind of guilty, to be honest with you. But then I said, oh, there's one more present in there, and in the closet, I forgot to put out, so they went over and opened it, and as soon as they saw the the game system thing, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're jumping up and down, so excited. Why did I do that? Because I'm a good dad. <laughs> I did it because I love them. I don't mind that they ask for gifts. I love them. Here's what Jesus has to say about gifts in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? A little bit different Christmas gifts back then, right? <laughs> of course not. So if you sinful people, kind of a backhanded compliment, <laughs> you're giving good gifts. But if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, it's kind of interesting. I have been a Christian many, many years 
And, and I know what my gifts are, kind of like Jamie was saying, I, I know what they are. You know what I have not done is ask God for more. I've been kind of working in the gifts that I have, and I just realized it this week as I was studying this, oh my gosh, I've been just maybe letting gifts go by the wayside that he would have wanted to give me because I didn't ask, right? He might be able to use me more. He might be able to expand my influence. He might be able to expand my impact in people's lives for the good if I would ask him for more. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm asking God for more. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I'm not being greedy. It's not for me. But I want more. Everything he has for me. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. And I love how Paul puts this. Let love be your highest goal. We know that's it. We were talking about gifts this morning. But we know there's one thing that God expects of us. There's one thing he wants from us. And that's what he gives to us. It's his love. It's, it's his sacrifice. That's what he gives us. So that's our highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, that's kind of interesting. I'm not going to get into prophecy this morning. Uh, it's a longer topic. But what Paul is saying here is desire more. Desire the kinds of gifts that will impact more people. There are some gifts that almost are more for us than anyone else. But desire the gifts that you can give away to other people to impact their lives. Go for it. Go for the highest and best gifts that God can give you. Can you imagine if we were going after more gifts? If everybody in here was so crazy gifted because they just started asking God for more What could happen in our midst? But here's what happens when you begin serving in your gifts. I know this from experience. Some people don't appreciate your gifts. Some people don't appreciate what you do. Some people have opinions about your gifts and how well you're serving. Have you ever noticed that? Right? I talked to somebody one time. He literally thought he had this gift. He goes, I have the gift of criticism. I said, can you explain that a little more? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just really good at seeing what's wrong with things and being able to, you know, point it out. I said, I've never seen that in 1 Corinthians. Good luck with that, you know. Stay away from me, please. But, and there are a lot of people that will do that. That's why Paul is saying love's got to come first. And sometimes we experience uh, difficulty, and that's an opportunity when we're serving. That's an opportunity to extend love. In fact, the harder things are sometimes, the greater the opportunity to extend love. Love shines brightest in dark places. So, secondly, first, we really need to go after and desire them. Secondly, I steward God's gifts well when I maximize them. When I maximize them. Make the most out of them. I love all-in people. My, my kids used to get into the Texas Hold'em, you know, where you, you go out and you, 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 know, you gamble, basically. But I, I love seeing it when somebody knows they have a good hand and they go all in. They just push that whole stack of chips in the middle because they're confident in what they're doing. We have an all-in God. 
We have a God that doesn't hold back. He gives everything. Now, I'm not saying we have to be perfect in our gifts, but what I am saying is when we're serving with our gifts, we have to serve with everything we have. This is what it says in Romans. Paul is talking about gifts in Romans 12, 6 to 8. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith God has given you. In other words, if this is what you're doing, uh, give it your all. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. Be complete about it. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. This is an interesting. It says encourage. That's kind of a word that's going out. But the be encouraging has to do with coming alongside somebody. Bring those words and your presence. Take it to the next level. If it's giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Whatever the gift is God has given you, just give it your all. Be all in on that gift. You know, it's interesting. I've been um, teaching for a long time. The first message I ever spoke was, I'd say, a little bit of a disaster. Now, I had somebody tell me that they thought I could teach, but when I first gave my first message, here was the encouragement I got. Don't worry, you'll get better. That was the encouragement, okay? And I think when, you, when you're going to be all in on something, I think you have to take the opportunities as they come. And I've had a lot of un, uh, opportunities, but those opportunities sometimes make me uncomfortable. You may not know this about me. Some of you do, but I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I don't, I'm not the life of the party kind of guy sitting in the corner having fun talking all the time. That's Pastor Chris, right? <laughs> I'm an introvert, always have been. But I have the gift of teaching. And the way that works is when I read something and I see something, I get encouraged by it. And I, I got to tell somebody about this. And so it, it works its way out as I go out and I share what I've learned. I get excited about what I've learned. But when I first started doing this, I hated it. I mean, I hated getting in front of people. It just felt so awkward. But I had little opportunities to speak here and speak there, do a small group. I remember at the last church I was at, I, I asked to teach a, a small group, which I can do, and, and I led that. But then I was asked to speak by the leader in a group of 130 people. And he said, yeah, would you speak on Sunday morning for about 20 minutes? I said, uh, yeah, I was so nervous. I said, can you give me the notes of what we're going to speak on? He goes... Yeah, I'll give it to you later in the week. And I call later in the week and he goes, hey, just get there Sunday morning a half hour before and I'll give you the notes and you can go over them. <laughs> 10 minutes before we were starting, he got there with the notes. And I made the mistake of wearing a gray shirt. And I sweat two round black spots on each side. I was so nervous. And I looked at the notes. First of all, that's horrible. Don't ever do that to somebody. But I took the notes and I went up. And when I got up there, I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I studied this week. And I had an aha moment about it. And I began to share what God had taught me that week. Because what this guy tried to do to me, God wasn't going to let it happen to me. And he prepared for me ahead of time. Amen? I, 
I have done things like I went to down south for a job interview one time, and I became the campus pastor down there. But it was um, the interview process was Hunger Games for pastors. That's really what it was. Right? There's five pastors, and you went through an interview process. There was five different interview panels, and you would go into each one. You would share what did they say? What did they say? You know? And we spent the whole weekend together. You kind of like each other, but then you try and kill each other off at the end, right? <laughs> we, we did like psychological assessments and all kinds of things when I went down there. But at the very end, we were sitting having lunch and we figured it was all over. And they said, oh, there's only one more thing. You all have 15 minutes to prepare a seven-minute sermon that you're going to deliver to all the interviewers and all the other candidates and their wives. I said, great. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) When you step into your gifting, sometimes it's awkward. And that's normal. That's how we grow. When we step into something that's awkward, not only does God begin to enlighten us as, oh, it's him that's doing this. It's not me. I get it. Then we get more opportunities and bigger opportunities to do more things for him. It gives us confidence in what we're doing and we begin to grow, which is our third point. I steward God's gifts well when I grow them. We're actually expected to grow our gifts. If you are a musician, you grow by rehearsal, right? If you're a teacher, you grow by teaching. If, if you're a generous person, you grow by giving money away. And you give some money away and you get more. And you go, oh my gosh. And you give that away and you get more. You go, oh my gosh. That's how it works. We have a God that when you give a gift away, you don't lose it. You have more of it. Isn't that crazy? This is what it says in 2 Timothy 1.6. This is why I remind you. Paul's talking to this young leader. He's, this is why I remind you to fan into the flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And the laying on of hands was just a way of saying, uh, you're my guy. I recognize a gift in you. And we do that here sometimes, right? When we have a new chaplain, we commission them. We say, this person is gifted in that area. And I think there's, that, that's a good lesson to think about when we're serving in our gifts. Like we don't go to a new church and say, ah, oh, I'm a wonderful singer, I should be on stage. You know, you, you have a conversation, people get to know you, and, and maybe you have a gift of singing, but it might not be a stage gift. Maybe you should be in, in kids ministry to start or some other area. That happens sometimes. Or if you're a teacher, it doesn't mean you're going to be teaching from the pulpit. It might be you're teaching a small group. So we all have gifts that have different applications, right? So there's usually some sort of, I have a gift, and, and you recognize that gift in me. And that's a healthy thing. In fact, if you don't know what your gift is, you might ask some of your friends, hey, do you know what my gift is? Do you know what I'm good at? And they may say, you are a natural at this. You know how to connect people. Or you know how to encourage people. You are the most encouraging person I know. So you may find that other people know your gift even more than you do. And this was true in Timothy's case. He had the gift of leadership And Paul wanted to encourage that gift in him. So he he was telling him, you need to start working in that. Practice it. Get better at it. Grow that gift. Fan it into flames. It's like a fire, right? It starts with an ember. You give fuel. You give air. And it it grows into something bigger and greater. So I want to give you, I'm going to end this morning with this final passage. Um, But to give you a little bit of a background Uh, I want us to see what happens when a gift starts and what it can become. So Peter, 
uh, one of the disciples and kind of the main disciple, really considered the, the founder of the original church along with the other disciples, but he had a pivotal role. And Peter had an interesting personality. Whenever uh, Peter was thinking, didn't stay in there very long before it came out his mouth. I don't know if you guys know that. And it got him into trouble sometimes, right? I appreciate people like that. Don't you appreciate people that say what they mean and mean what they say, right? Um, so, so he was an external processor. And I'm actually married to an external processor. Teresa's an external processor. So she, whatever she's thinking, she, you know, usually you know. But uh, in fact, we, were, we used to work together and uh, one of the other pastors on our team said one time, if you want to know what Teresa's thinking, just listen. So that was Peter. So Peter was always right out with it. And that's his personality, right? So that might be part of the gifting, but God will add something to it. So in this passage I'm about to read, what happened was Jesus was spending some time with his disciples. He'd been with them for a little while. He'd done some miraculous things and a lot of teaching. And he was about to share with them something intimate, but he wanted to hear from them. He, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Uh, kind of an identity question. Right? Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. They did back then too. The religious leaders thought he was you know, a false prophet or thought he was leading people astray. The other people thought he was incredible. And so the, the disciples began to say, well, some people think you're Elijah. Some people say you're a prophet. So they began to rattle off what they thought Jesus was. And here's where we pick up the story when he asks the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter first one to speak up, says this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Old Testament promised Savior. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Apparently hell's a gated community. <laughs> what I want you to see about this is that Peter had something that was him. It was his personality, but God added something to it. He revealed something to Peter that made it prophetic. That's what makes a spiritual gift a spiritual gift. And we saw Peter develop this gift in the early church. He, he became the leader of the early church. He became the preacher of the early church as it grew and then experienced persecution. And he was in the middle of the leadership of all of that. And when he talks about the gates of hell, what Jesus is saying is, this is a life and death issue. And Peter, you're right on track, and I'm going to use you in the middle of this. I, when I read this verse initially, I used to think the gates of hell will not prevail, as if you know, the gates of hell are coming at you, and you have to fend it off somehow. But gates are not an offensive weapon. They're a defensive weapon. Gates are used to hold people out. And the reality is, there are people on the other side of that gate that are hurting 
and broken and in need of somebody who loves them to go after them and share with them that there's a God who loves them and wants them and is seeking to to restore them and reconcile them to himself. When the church begins to desire their gifts and fully all in use their gifts and grow in their gifts, it is powerful. It's a healthy church. It's a growing church. It's a bright church. It's an unstoppable church when we are all serving together. Several years ago, Teresa and I, when we were leading singles ministry, we uh, had several people that led different outreach ministries. One of the ministries was to a group of people that were coming out of homelessness. So these were people that had struggled with addictions and then they had been separated from their children. Maybe they were in foster care or with family members, but, but they had been uh, distanced from their kids because of their problems and because of living on the streets. And so we would go to this housing community once a month and we would do uh, games for the kids and we would provide lunch for all of them and, and we would uh, do music for them. We had a little shop, a little boutique they could shop in and, and get clothes uh, if they were under-resourced and we just loved on them. They, even the ladies would sometimes get together and do a little nail salon for the ladies in this, in this place, in this housing community and once a year we would do a big kind of outreach beautification project in this community. Um, it might be, you know, just having a carnival or maybe it would be something tangible. Well, this one year that we were there, we decided to put bark in their playground. It was really depleted and they needed bark to be safe. And we also put picnic benches around the property. And so I... <clears throat> put the word out and anybody who at the church wanted to help out could. So there was people that I didn't know there. And I was working alongside this one guy as we were shoveling bark and we were talking and I was getting to know him a little bit. Uh, and so I asked him, you know, have you ever done this before? And he goes, no, this is my first time doing this. And I said, oh, wow, yeah, that's cool. And he said, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been here. I thought you didn't, you'd never done this before. He goes, no, I used to live here. And he said, yeah, I was an addict and I was on the street. And I, I, I finally decided I want to get clean. I want to get my life back in order. I want to be reconciled with my son. So I came here. <clears throat> I was able to get my son back in the home and I was working on my addictions, my sobriety. And then uh, there was this vacation Bible school they invited my son to. So he went off to church, much like the kid craze we just did. And he gave his life to Christ. And then he came back and he pestered me for about six weeks to go to church. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Let's go. Let's go. And, uh, finally, he decided, I'll, I'll go to church. And he went to church. He heard about the love of Jesus. And in his life, he'd just been living day to day or for the next year. And he didn't really have a deep underlying purpose in his life. And he realized for the first time that there's a God who loves him and wants a relationship with him. And, and all the guilt and shame he had for being this addict and causing all these problems in his family, he could be forgiven of. And so he accepted that forgiveness and started a life with Christ. And 
He said, the reason I haven't come here earlier because it's just hard sometimes. But he goes, I just wanted to come back here and participate. And now, actually, he, he gets involved in things like Union Gospel Mission. He has a passion for that. And a lot of times that's what happens with people's gifts. They'll go into something because it impacted their life. And that's a cool thing. But I was thinking about that. All the people using their gifts along the way that made that happen. I, I was thinking about the guy in our singles ministry who kind of stepped out of his comfort zone to take on this big ministry. And he would coordinate the hospitality people and the, the fun and games people and the food, you know, everything that had to be done. He took care of all that. It was a big job. But then all those people came with their gifts and they served. And then when that little boy went to the vacation Bible school, there was all these people that had poured their time and effort into those kids and getting ready and helping them and being their, their group leaders and, and had, had changed that boy's life. And then that boy asked him to come to church. And then he went to church and all these people that were greeting and ushering and helping were able to minister to him. And, and through all that, his life was changed. And I was just thinking, what could happen if we were fully engaged? I have a dream, not Martin Luther King dream, but I do have a vision that we might have a 90% participation rate in using our gifts. That 90%, 9 out of 10 people in this church would be serving somewhere in their gifts. And, and as we did, we might be able to reach some of the students which are more depressed and, and hurting than ever before. Or people in our community who, who are struggling, don't have enough to eat. Or people whose marriages are, are, are on the rocks and, and they need help. There's all kinds of people out there, just like my friend that I met, who need our help. But we need to start living in our gifts in this church and get healthy and be, I'm not saying we're not, but we're not fully engaged, that I know. And some of you might say, I don't have a minute extra in my life. You can serve once a month in kids' ministry without taking an extra moment out of your week. There's something we can all do. If you're shut in at home, you're watching this right now, you could be on our prayer team. There's something for everybody. And when we all jump in and we start serving, we will see transformation, not only in our own lives and get the help we need, but in the lives of people out there who are desperately waiting to hear the good news. Amen? All right. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And what a blessing to receive gifts from you. I don't want anybody to feel guilty because I know I was on the shelf for a long time. But there are people right now that are feeling moved because they feel like, I want to step in and I want to start serving. And I just pray that they would follow that through, have a conversation with somebody and start that, that path into becoming a part of the ministries here. Maybe there's a new ministry that needs to be launched. Whatever it is, God, I just pray you begin to move on our hearts. And some of us, we need to be greedy with gifts and start going after more. Lord, just seek what you might have for us to the full. And I know there may be some people in here this morning who have never started a relationship with Jesus. And just like that man in that home 
that this morning is a day that they can start that. They can give up their shame and their guilt for the mistakes they've made. And they can accept forgiveness from a God who loves them through Jesus Christ and what he's done for them on the cross. And so if that's you right now and you want to take that step of faith, just pray with me. And let's all pray together as if uh, we're praying this for the first time. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I just give you my life right now. Forgive me and help me start a new life for you. Give me a gift that I can use for others. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. If you pray that prayer for the first time, I'd love it if you talk to me or Pastor Jamie after the service. And for all of us, Lord, I just pray you would encourage us Help us to have confidence because we have a great God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.